0: Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm awfully glad we are together right now. I'm glad that we are at a point in our life where we are looking at something unprecedented. And I'm going to talk about it with my friend and Bible teacher Jeff Redorn, who's coming to the studio today. There's a lot to chew on, a lot to process, and it is a, a never-before experience for me in my lifetime, and that probably goes for everyone listening. And we're going to talk about uh, all the implications of the uh, coronavirus and uh, what uh, the Bible teaches and how we should remain steadfast. And I'll repeat the verse I said earlier in the first hour in Colossians 3. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let me take a short break and we'll bring on Jeff. Welcome to the show. So glad to have my friend Jeff Redorn here. And we have uh, got to spend the whole hour hopefully talking about something you'd be very interested in. We want to get a biblical understanding and perspective of what we are facing and we know how to pray and how to focus and how to love and how to show compassion and how to uh, be kind to one another uh, and also put it in context. We kind of don't know exactly what we're dealing with, but we can we can talk about what we know So, uh, Jeff, as you know, is a regular guest of the show and my friend and Bible teacher and Bible mentor of mine. Jeff, welcome. Hi, Bill. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for coming in. I originally said you can do it from your your home, but you said, no, I want to come in, which is awfully nice. I did. I think uh, we're going to be
1: spending uh, some significant time in our homes over. Yeah, I think we are the next couple of weeks. So I thought, no, oh, get out. I, I, you don't have the coronavirus, right? I so do not. You, no get, no we're, symptoms. We're four feet, five feet apart, so All we're right. probably safe. Social distancing. We've been practicing that. We, we didn't have, shake hands. Yet. We did not. So, not no, like I, it's. I I was pleased to come in and really looking forward to it. So.
0: Well, this is a big, heavy topic, and I i promise it's changing by the hour. I mean, every time you pick up the newspaper or turn on the radio, you're hearing a d- different report. So I, I would love for us to talk about um, this in a biblical understanding. Let's put the lens of Christ on it and see what happens. Yeah, so i we actually had a nephew that
1: traveled to South Korea before the outbreak. In fact, when he left, uh, there was about 20 cases Of coronavirus in South Korea. So we said, yeah, go. And obviously things have changed in that country significantly and we brought him home. So I've actually been kind of tracking the statistics now for a few weeks and and following this uh, uh, fairly closely. Just a little bit of an update. Now these have probably already changed. These are a few hours old, but uh, the numbers are changing constantly. But around the world, about 90,000 people have been infected. Remember this though, that about 93% of them, around the world have mild symptoms from this virus. Uh, Now, some countries have been hit harder than others. I mentioned South Korea. Italy has been hit hard, and and they are responding in unprecedented ways. So uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos in Italy where they're singing from the balconies. Mm -hmm, I have. Right? And uh, so because everybody's locked up at home, they're they're now singing. I think that is just awesome. It kind of reminds me of Paul. Remember when he was imprisoned, and they were obviously singing hymns and praising God, Right. Um Madrid uh just did a uh something where you're quarantined in your home and if they find you outside of your home you're going to be fined 200 euros unless it's for uh, a specific purpose like going to the grocery store specifically. Um so far those kind of things have not come to this country in the United States yet except limitedly. There's about 5 states, California, Ohio, Illinois, Massachusetts, Washington and I understand that uh, there was just another announcement today where New York, Connecticut and parts of New Jersey have also Closed restaurants, bars, and so on. In the United States specifically, there's about 3,800 infections today. Um, but here's another interesting fact. About 99.7% of those infections are mild. Only about 0.3% of the infections are serious or are in serious condition. So that's really good news for the United States that we are not seeing the kind of serious Infections uh, in in really large numbers so far, and that ninety nine point seven percent of the infections uh, are still have mild uh, symptoms. In Minnesota, there's about thirty five in, in, uh, infected people. So so far, this is really um, you know the numbers are still low, but the the rate of daily increase of case increases is still is still growing. And so what we're afraid of is that exponential kind of curve, and that's why some of these unprecedented. Kind of uh, uh, tactics are being employed in in my home state, in the state of Minnesota, where we are. There is discussion that some of the bars and restaurants and so on may also be closed. So far, they're they're not yet. But um, so that's the risk. If you are, let's talk about the risk specifically. If you are elderly, if you have pre-existing medical conditions, uh, then there is a risk out there for this. If you're younger, what it's shown is that the risk is not as high. Um, But uh, if you're older, and especially if you have pre-existing medical conditions, you probably already take precautions every flu season. This year, take even more. Uh, Read the CDC recommendations about avoiding contact, staying indoors. Don't touch public surfaces. And if you do, wash your hands immediately afterwards. Don't touch your face if you've touched surfaces where you know other people uh, have touched. Have hand sanitizer with Mm -hmm. at least 60% alcohol. Um, of the safety zone, the social zone here that follow those. uh, Don't shake hands, uh, all those kind of things. So follow those as well. And just one last reminder before we move on to kind of what our response as Christians should be. We have seen in this country um, many crises um, in the last, whatever, 100, 200 years. Um, We've seen wars. We've seen other outbreaks, we have seen market collapses. Uh, we were talking before the show about the 1987 um, Black Monday, where the market went down 22, uh, percent, I believe, in in one day. We've fought world wars. Uh, we have seen energy crises. We've seen, we just came out of uh, 9/11, and all of the unprecedented, uh, you know, air travel mm-hmm. was suspended for a couple weeks. Uh, that was unprecedented. We saw an unprecedented financial crisis in 2000 eight in 2009 that that took years to come out of. And uh, and we just had an uh, uh, H1N1 uh, just 10 years or so ago, um, where 17000 people in this country died from the H1N1 swine flu virus. So we have seen this before. um, And we've always as a country have come together uh, and come through it. And so I think that's a good reminder as we are in the middle of this one. I'm also pleased to see that it seems to me that the politicians and the and the media have become significantly less political here just in the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. And it does seem like people are coming together and saying, This is serious, we gotta deal with this, and this is how we're gonna do it and we're gonna get through this. Well, that's
0: a good start, Jeff. I, I know that there is a lot of people that are excuse me um, seeking out information uh daily in terms of what they need to do and what they need to be uh, careful about, and all of the practices that we just mentioned again, and you've probably heard those already, just a good reminder mm-hmm. uh, the social distancing is getting more important by the day, and we're creating more space between each other just to try to i think they call it flatten the curve to try to let let this thing not spike too much. And we'll get on the other side of it, hopefully sooner than later. But I want to really spend our time today uh, looking at this through a biblical lens and try to figure out uh, what we learn, what uh, God's Word is telling us in this time of unprecedented, um, these uh, this unprecedented time.
1: It is. I read a, an article a few years ago, and I found it again before our Talk today. It was by Eric Metaxas, and he wrote, actually wrote it in 2014. Let me just read a portion of it. He says this he says, In 250 AD, a terrible plague, believed to be measles or smallpox, devastated Rome. At the height, 5,000 people every day were dying in Rome. The plague coincided with the persecution of Christians under the uh, emperor uh, Decius. Not surprisingly, he blamed Christians for the plague. This, that claim was, however, undermined by two inconvenient facts. Christians died from the plague like everybody else, and unlike everybody else, they cared for the victims of the plague, including their pagan neighbors. This wasn't new. Christians had done the same thing a century earlier when another plague wrote about in a book called The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. He wrote this, Christians stayed in the cities where the pagan leaders, including the physicians, fled the city. The Christian stayed. This witness came to mind after listening to an NPR show called All Things Considered about Stephen Rowden, who volunteered with Doctors Without Borders, who went to uh, Liberia to recover the bodies, sometimes 10 to 25 bodies a day. That were the victims of the Ebola crisis that was there at the time. Since close contact to the victims is the chief means by which the usually deadly virus has spread, Rowan and his team uh, members lived with the risk of becoming victims themselves. And here's this line at the end. Nearly 18 centuries after this original the plague back that was talked about earlier, Christianity still prompts people to run towards the plague when virtually everyone else is running away from it. And it's a great reminder that Christians throughout histories have been the ones that have taken care of the poor, the sick, the needy, the the plague infested. Christ wants us to be that good neighbor. Um, I just sent an email out uh, yesterday to my Sunday school class. My Sunday, my church has canceled services. We only had it online, but all of the other small groups, they've canceled. And so I sent out an email to, to everybody that's in my group. If you are elderly, and if you, especially if you have uh, any preexisting uh, medical conditions, here's my email, here's my telephone number, here's the group's email. We will help you. We need to come together in this. This is what the body of Christ is supposed to do. Um, and so uh, if you know someone, who is in need? Who is elderly? Call them up. Find out if they need something. Find out if they have enough supplies. I know that well, we just got back from a trip in Florida and the, and the grocery stores were fine down there. But I came back here and a couple people have mentioned that uh, there are some sh- empty shelves in some of the areas uh, in some of the grocery stores. Um, so if someone needs something that you know, be that good neighbor, be that good
0: Samaritan and go help them out. All right, Jeff, we got to take a little break. Jeff Verdorn my guest in the studio. We will be back in 90 seconds. Back to the show. My friend Jeff Bernard is in the studio, and right now one of the only topics people are talking about is uh, COVID nineteen, and and we want to talk about it from a biblical standpoint and understanding uh, perspective on it and what God wants us to do and how we're supposed to respond to our neighbors and um, the calling God's put on our life. And I think Jeff, there was a quote you had that I cut you off right before we went to break.
1: Well, from this book that I just mentioned, The Rise of Christianity by Stark, he also said that. Uh, he describes in the book how epidemics uh, throughout history, especially in the early church, were significant in spreading Christianity mm. around the world. And I found that very interesting that that God can use a, a pandemic like this to actually then end up not only the virus being spread, but the gospel being spread and Christianity is being spread. This morning, my wife was uh, reading a devotion. She said, here, you got to hear this. And it was from a devotion she was reading, it says, if you have children involve them in prayer, even the little ones. My little friend Zoe reminded me of this this week uh, that children pick up on way more than we think. And when we lead them well, they sometimes turn around and lead us. Zoe showed us this to be true as she told her mama this week, I think I know why God is allowing this to happen. If anyone is scared or worried, the only thing that we can do is pray. And he wants everyone to pray and love him. Isn't that fascinating Here being taught by a little kid? Zoe, Mm -hmm. thank you, Zoe. There's an old adage that there's no atheists in a foxhole, right? When things get tough, people tend to turn to God. Mm -hmm. And I think hopefully that's one of the ways that I'm sure God will use this in our country is as people in their fear and in their angst, they will turn to him in prayer, maybe for the first time in a long, long time. But let's get to the big question then and we were texting each other back and forth this morning. The big question, is this from God? I've had a number of people in my class over the last few weeks as this has been growing. You know, do you think this is from God? Did God send this virus or not? And theologically, this is, this is, this is probably way over all of our pay grades, right? To even try to tread on this. But I, I love the scene from Bruce Almighty. Remember that great theological masterpiece called Bruce Almighty, uh, that movie? There's a scene where where he's Bruce is standing there. Things are not going his way, and his life is bad. And he says, I see God as a mean kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass. And that's how he saw God. There's insurance policies, and insurance policies used to say things like, fire, floods, and other acts of God. And in that phrase, other acts of God was actually in their legal documents. So when we think about this, are these things from God or not? And we, earlier, we're talking about some of these things that we see in scripture. For example, the flood of Noah. Well, that was a big disaster that was brought on by God. God rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. He sent the plagues to Egypt, right? Uh, we saw all the plagues. Those were from God. My small group is studying Daniel. And in Daniel chapter four, we saw when Nebuchadnezzar became very proud and, uh, and God took his kingdom away and sent him out to be like a wild animal who mm-hmm. ate str- uh, grass like the oxen. Um, the uh, angel of the Lord struck King Herod in Acts 12 um, because of what he did. But but when it comes, so those I know are from God, right? Because we have in Scripture a description that said God sent these things in this time on this person, on this king or this kingdom or so on. I But, but today, without a thus saith the Lord, I'm very hesitant to lay things like a pandemic at God's feet. Do you see what I'm saying?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I remember when Hurricane Katrina came and I remember a lot of Christians were saying, You know, look at, uh, you know, there was going to be this gay pride parade, um, you know, in New Orleans. So God sent this hurricane to judge the city of New Orleans. And I said, yeah, but isn't there parades in just about every other city in the world? Mm -hmm. Um, So doesn't that mean that God needs to judge San Francisco and Minneapolis and Amsterdam and Berlin? And, oh, wait a minute. He said there is a judgment on all the earth, right? Right but we're not there yet, right? One of my favorite topics is the end times. And I'm teaching my class on end times right now at Grace Church, although that's been put on hold here for a few weeks as well. Um, But he's told us about a time of judgment that he is going to do this and take and judge the world because of sin and, and take away sickness and disease and death and all that. But that day is not yet. So without it, thus saith the Lord, I'm, I'm, very hesitant to really lay this at at God's feet, and there's also one more point on this. There's a clear distinction between God's judgment and evil. Evil is in the world. We know it exists. Um, this is kind of this is what philosophers for hundreds of years have called the problem of evil. Right? Well, if there's evil, then God must not exist because if God is benevolent, all loving, and if He is all powerful. Well, then he either doesn't love us enough to stop the evil or he's not powerful enough to stop the evil, and therefore there is no God, right? So that's the argument that's been made for mm-hmm. many, many years. However, C.S. Lewis points out the, this brilliant theologian of C.S. Lewis. I love to read him. He says, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and so unjust, but how did I get the idea of just and unjust in the first place? In other words, what he's saying is the fact that there's evil and good doesn't disprove God. It actually proves God, because how else would we know to call something evil? In other words, if we're calling something evil and we're calling something good, that means we have a moral standard in which to call something evil and good. Mm-hmm. And what C.S. Lewis is saying is when you imply that moral standard to call something evil and good, you are therefore assuming that there is a moral lawgiver who is the one who declared something as good and evil so actually the presence of evil actually proves god i mean he's he was a brilliant guy but christians we have an answer to this problem of evil right it's called genesis chapter 3 and in genesis chapter 3 we found that, find out that in scripture god made the world good everything he made was good and he made it and he called it good and it was good and it was good right There were no plagues in the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was nothing in the Garden of Eden. But we have this thing called the fall. And so today we are still living with the consequences of that fall back in Genesis chapter 3. So we live in a fallen world. We live with fallen people. And there's this fallen angel running around, mucking things up. In fact, Scripture calls him a roaring lion. He comes to kill and maim and destroy and to steal. Scripture says we are to know his schemes, and his schemes is he deceives this Satan, this devil. He deceives the world. He masquerades as an angel of light. He counterfeits. He accuses the brethren. He sets up traps. He torments. He he tempts and entices, and he causes evil. Um, So, you know, where did this initiate? Well, The spiritual realm is something that, you know, I'm just going to leave to the spiritual realm. Paul says it in Ephesians 6. He says, our battle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of darkness, uh, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We know that our battle is spiritual, right? So I don't know if I want to lay this at God's feet or not. I think that's way above my Pay grade, but I know we live in a fallen world, um, and as a result, we have sickness and disease and cancers and plagues and coronaviruses and murders and on and on and on. We live in a fallen world, and uh, people say, "Well, but isn't God in control?" I love that line because we use it all the time, and it's it's supposed to be comforting to the Christian. But let me read a verse to you, and I want to I want to amend this just a little bit, when we, you know, proclaim that God is in control, I want to point out 1 John five nineteen, which says this, we know that we are children and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. Matthew 4 describes it this way. Satan brought Jesus up to tempt him. And he said, see all these kingdoms of the world, I offer them to you. In other words, Satan, who's called the god of this age, the prince of the air, the god of this world, has a certain authority to muck around in this world, and God says the whole world is in control of the evil one. If God was in control, look at the newspapers, right? I think this one's kind of easy. Now, in the end, God is in control. Mm-hmm. His will will be Absolutely. done on earth as it mm-hmm. is in heaven. But right now we have this guy, Satan, running around and mucking
0: things up. Oh so boy. that's where I'd learn yeah. more
1: of this than at God's
0: feet. After a short break, I'll be back with Jeff Verdorn. Uh Let me know if you have a comment you'd like to make, 877-93-FAITH. That's the text line only. Be right back. I hope your day is going okay. it kind of an interesting one for sure. We're processing much of what's going on in the world right now with uh, my friend Jeff Redorn, a Bible teacher and Bible mentor of mine, and a couple of comments have come in, Jeff. Um, We know Satan sent the disasters, but all Job knew or needed to know was that they came from God. Whatever the backstage reason, we can take COVID-19 as coming from God. And as with Job, the question is, what do we believers do in response? Hmm. Okay. So Job did think
1: they were from God, all of his disasters that came upon him. He said to his wife, shall we accept the good from God and not the bad, right? So Job thought they were from God, but I would argue Job was mistaken because Job didn't have the privilege of reading Job chapter one, (laughs) which basically describes that Satan is the one who came before God and Satan was the one from which all of these disasters came. Now you can get into, well, didn't God allow it, and didn't God have this hedge of protection? Yeah, but the the, the initiator of the evil against Job was not God. We know from Job chapter one that it was actually Satan. So, um, this is does it, so. The next question we should move to then is: Does evil have a purpose? Can evil have a purpose, and can God? use that purpose. In fact, C.S. Lewis talks about this uh, quite a bit. Does e- if evil having a purpose being a proof once again for a divine being uh because evil can have a purpose. I'm sure all of us have a story where we went through bad times, evil, sickness, disease and we came out of it the other end and then and only then did we see the good that came from it, right? So we have the story of Joseph all of us remember this story. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, right? So he was taken as a slave. He was falsely accused, thrown into prison, but he had this power to to interpret dreams. And the Pharaoh had a dream of seven fat cows and seven thin cows. He interprets the dream and uh, as his reward, the Pharaoh puts him basically in charge of the administering the seven years of plenty Before the seven years of famine were to come. Well, at the end of the story in Genesis 45, his brothers come uh, from the promised land up in Israel to get food from Joseph. And here's what it says in Genesis 45, uh, verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified as his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or do not be angry with yourself for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, a remnant of the earth, to save your lives. Now, so who sent or who caused Joseph to be sold into slavery? Well, I argue that it's still his brothers that did that evil, not God. God didn't do the evil, but God used that act for his purposes. So in mm-hmm. a way, God sent Joseph ahead of him. And we actually see that in Genesis 50, which I love this verse. It says, as for you to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And isn't that the great promise of God that we also see in the New Testament in Romans eight twenty eight, where he says, and we know that God works all things for good. I... I I won't speculate on the the causes of all this stuff but I will proclaim that because God has proclaimed it that whatever you're going through whether it be COVID-19 or something else in your life today God will use that for good. There's a parable. I love this parable. It's called the parable of the Chinese farmer. This is not in the in the Bible by the way. But there was this farmer and he had a prized stallion and the stallion ran away from from his farm up into the hills, and all of his neighbors came to him and said, Oh, what a terrible thing. But then the next day, the, the stallion came back, and all these mares were with him, and all of his neighbors came to him and said, Oh, what a wonderful thing. And the farmer said, Well, how do you know? And the next day, the son was breaking in one of the new horses, but he got thrown off and he broke both of his legs, and all of his neighbors came to him and said, Oh, what a terrible thing. And the farmer said, How do you know? And the next day, the army came to take all able-bodied young people to the front, but they left his son behind because of his broken legs. And all of his neighbors said, oh, what a wonderful thing. And he said, how do you know? How do we know when something happens, whether it's good or bad? Because God might use that for greater purposes. And this example is so perfectly shown in the cross, of Christ, that if you knew, if you were standing at the foot of the cross and you knew that this Jesus was God in the flesh, the creator of all things, and he took the form of, the, of a man and now man was killing God, you would say this is the worst event in human history. And three days later, oh, he turns that around and now in hindsight, we look at it and say, no, 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 we were wrong. That wasn't the worst event in human history. That was the best event in human history. How do we know? Right? So let's focus in this time on this wonderful promise of God that he is going to, to as, as the book we are talking about, potentially spread Christianity, Right? from this tragedy, and use it in
0: his ways for greater good. Jeff, a listener that brought up that other comment, we know Satan sent the disasters, but all Job knew or needed to know was that they came from God. And his other additional comment was, but God could have said that wasn't me. He didn't.
1: He never did. So we, for about 38 chapters uh, in Job, we actually have his friends coming to him, and I would argue they give him a lot of bad advice, actually, to be honest. They're trying to point out that it's Job's sin is why God brought all these disasters upon him, and it wasn't. Um, this is this is a good time to remind us, by the way, um, that for a believer in Christ, your sin has been taken care of, right? It's been taken care of on the cross, and so God does not punish the Christian. Let me repeat that. God does not punish the Christian. Remember in in the first part of Romans 8, it says what? It says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. God's wrath, his punishment was taken on the cross. So it wasn't Job's sin." that came. That It, it wasn't his sin was, the, was not the reason why this these calamities were coming, um, coming upon him. But you're right. God, God doesn't clarify uh, to Job in Job chapter 1. So that why question, why God? Why did this happen to me? Why did my mother have to die? Why does my spouse have cancer? Why does... Boy, that why, Bill, is one of the hardest questions for a Christian to ask. Um, I don't know what tomorrow holds Mm -hmm. in my life and my family's life, but I know the one who holds tomorrow. So I'm going to trust him. So whether good happens or whether bad happens, God is good all the time. He's either good or he's not. My circumstances as I live and walk through this fallen world do not change the fact that God is good all the time.
0: Another listener jumped in with this question that she heard on a Christian program. I don't know if it was on this station or not. That God created this virus. What do you think? Well, yeah, that's the question
1: that we've been kind of struggling with yeah. here for the last few minutes. Did this come from God or not? And as I said earlier, without a "Thus saith the Lord," I'm not going to lay this at God's feet. I am. I, I just. I. I won't do that. I'm. I'll let him worry about the battle in the in the heavenlies. That spiritual battle that's going on. Um, so I I cannot actually answer that question, and without a thus sayest the Lord, I would argue that no Christian can really answer that question. Um, I know we live in a fallen world. I know that I know that there's evil in this world, and sickness and disease and death. Actually, God says that death came through sin. So through Adam's sin, death actually came to all man. Um, so. I know that's where it came from originally. We live in a fallen world. There's fallen people. All creation is groaning, Scripture says. So uh, when we have natural disasters and earthquakes and fires and floods and hurricanes and all the rest, I, whenever I see those, I think of that passage that all creation is groaning. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we have an enemy, uh, this, this dragon, this Satan, uh, that is roaming the earth like a lion, looking to kill and maim and destroy. So I know that's true, and I know God will work it. And I know this too, Bill, that in the end, God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He will judge this world for sin. That's what the end times is all about. By the way, I, I, I get asked the question, well, why doesn't God then stop all this evil? Why doesn't he put an end to it? Can't, doesn't he have the power and authority to end this virus right here, right now? Well, of course he does for his whatever his purposes he has chosen to let the world run as it's running until such time that he does return and he will end evil i've read the back of the book we win god wins in the end and so one day satan will be thrown into the lake of fire There will be no more death, no more pain, no more suffering. That's when he says he wipes every tear away and then we will enter this eternal state, the new heaven and new earth, where the old nature of things will pass away and nothing unrighteous will ever enter into this new kingdom. And so there is a time, and that is our hope. Our hope is that all of this will be put behind us someday, Mm -hmm. but not today. In the meantime... We need to trust in Him.
0: Jeff, one of uh, our listeners that has made some wonderful contributions here today, and that's one of the only downsides of not getting a guest on the phone is, uh, we, you know, we get I'll get a number of text messages from the same listener, and he just wanted to put this in. For me, this is one of the critical messages of Job. Whatever happens to you is sourced in either you or God, period. And what we do in response is God's statement to all those watching. S- say that last part again. Mm-hmm. Is God's statement what we do in response is God's statement to all those watching.
1: Well, I think how we respond is very important. Yeah. I agree. Um how we we cannot control our circumstances. The only thing that we can control is our response to those circumstances, right? right? Mm-hmm. So, uh Job didn't curse God, mm-hmm. right? He argued with his friends, I think, rightly. He, he told them it wasn't my sin, and I agreed with Job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just go back to Job chapter one, that we know the source of Job's affliction. And I would argue my understanding of Job is that it wasn't from God, it was from Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the whole conversation that we see in in Job. So I, I would not lay Job's affliction at God's feet either. I would lay it directly at Satan's feet. Um, God allowed
0: Satan to do that. Just don't take his life.
1: That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in both cases, right? He had two rounds of this. And mm-hmm. in both cases, God set limits. Look, I <laughs> I pray often, and I know others do, for that hedge of protection that is described. Satan right. says, well, how can I touch him? God, you have this hedge of protection around him. And uh, so I I pray to Almighty God often for myself, my spouse, my kids, and my family That Lord, and your friend Bill, that's and your my friend Bill, right? Lord, keep that hedge of protection around my family because Mm -hmm. I know it's you. Look, wherever it comes from, I know somebody who can protect me from it, and that is definitely the Lord God Almighty.
0: Yeah. Take a little break. We'll be back with Jeff Redoran in just a minute. Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Jeff Redorn is my guest in the studio. And uh, Jeff, I'm so glad you could make it today and be with us. It's awfully nice of you to be here. Um, let's talk about um, what, what our response should be to all this. Well, I think two things.
1: Um, I saw some of the president's um, press conference today, the task force, and there was a number of questions about uh you know there, there's a lot of people that have a lot of fear out there, and uh, he recognized that and um and we understand that i mean there uncertainty um and threats always um, fear is a is a natural response, um, but just a reminder to Christians. Um, that uh, God says in 1 John 4, for example, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. God is bigger than any trouble, calamity, virus, pandemic that the world can throw at you, and he is in you. He says in 2 Timothy, for God gave us not a spirit of fear but of power, Um, I think when we fear, we're not living by faith, right? I think in a lot of ways, fear is is the opposite of faith. And he says in Joshua 1, 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord God, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Um, Those are some of the truths that I think we need to focus on in this time, that God is bigger than all of this. Um, this is not a surprise to him. Uh, he knew all about this, but we, whatever our circumstances, are to trust him because God is bigger than this. Do you remember VeggieTales? Do you remember mm-hmm. Junior in that song, God is bigger than the boogeyman? I think it was Junior, right, that sang that song. Oh, I loved VeggieTales when my kids were young. God is bigger than the coronavirus, and we need to know know that. The other part is this, this what you just cited um, this concept of not worrying. Um, one of my favorite Bible verses in all of Scripture is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. says, Do not be anxious or do not worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, bring your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is my don't worry about anything, but pray about everything verse right? Do you remember the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Mm -hmm. Bobby McFerrin was actually, he's a Christian guy. I I can't help but think that he had this verse in mind when he wrote that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, because that's exactly the message of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry, pray about everything, and God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds. Psalm 55, God says it this way, cast your cares upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. Um, Luke, Twelve twenty two says, and Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or your body, what you will wear. Um, and he goes on to say, How can any of you add one day to your life by worrying? Right. So let's not worry. Um, let's trust. And so, I think one of the great pictures. Of, of this is when, when Jesus says to his disciples, oh, you of little faith. Well, wow. if they were condemned for having little faith, well, then I want to do the opposite. So what's the situation? They were in this boat. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee. The winds come up, the storms, the waves, and Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. And out of fear, they go back, Jesus, wake up. Don't you know what's going on here? We're all going to die. And he says, oh, you of little faith. And he stands up and he, he says to the wind and the waves, be still. Be calm. And all the disciples, remember what they said? Who, who is
0: this man? That they the didn't wind and the water obey him.
1: Oh. They didn't understand that this was the maker of that, mm-hmm. that wind yeah. and the waves. We now know that this Jesus is the maker of the wind and the waves, right? And so let's trust in him through all of this. I love there's a verse in uh, First Thessalonians, be, be joyful. I think it's, I can't remember exactly where it is. Be joyful, always pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. I think it's 316. In Christ Jesus. Yeah, no. Isn't it? I think it is. Maybe Rebecca can look it up for our listeners. So I think that's, in the end, uh, not worrying, uh, but having just the faith to trust in him for today. Um, is should be the Christian's response. And and then, of course, the last response. We talked about this a little bit at the beginning. If we're going to love gods and we're going to love others, well, then we better do it purposefully. Um, instead of running away from the plague, as we read at the beginning of the hour, let's run towards this. Let's, let's be that good Samaritan. Remember Jesus' question, who was the good neighbor? And and the, the answer was it was the one that helped, the one that helped him. So if you know someone in your life that could use a little love, a little TLC through this uh, on getting through it uh, and comforting them. And then also don't be afraid to be that bold witness. Um, if, if, you know, it's, it's kind of like, have you ever been to an unbeliever's funeral and then been to a believer's funeral? Mm-hmm. They're two different things, right? Mm. We should be responding to this so differently from the world. That people say, well, aren't you worried about this? And they should see something in us that just says, you know what? I trust in the Lord. And that can be your witness Mm -hmm. to others
0: around you. You know, Jeff, a listener jumped in with this. And this is probably a good thing to say in light of what you just said. And the listener said, could you clarify that staying home and following the CDC's instructions, keeping your distance and not gathering is good. And Christians should do it too. We should. I have friends who think that their faith in God somehow means they wouldn't have to be careful with this virus. Remember being careful is for other people too, spreading it not just your own health. Yeah, no, I I fully agree with your your listener there. I mean, God
1: also gave us a brain so we can think and not take undue risk on uh, things like that. I I think that every Christian should be a on a bear of the authority that God, Romans thirteen mm. is true. We should obey those in our authority totally. over us because yeah. God has placed that authority there. So look, I think we should be good citizens. We should be model citizens as Christians and follow the guidance. But 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 there's a difference between following it and being afraid of it, right? So I say let's fear not, but let's follow the the guidance. We followed all the CDC directions when I came into this building. And I've been following it ever since our time together here. And I think that's just prudent. It's prudent for uh, a Christian or a non-Christian. So, but the difference is, is we're we're not going to fear over it, right? So we know the one who holds tomorrow. So, I, I like that comment from your listener. I do too. Thank you for that that uh, comment. I appreciate that as well. Let me read First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Um, this is uh, one of these verses. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I don't think that means to go out foolishly and expose yourself to this thing. Look, you can be a witness in many ways to your friends and neighbors by phone, by you know, by keeping six feet away from it. There's nothing in Scripture that says you have to be within six feet of something in order to be godly or something. I don't, I don't get that. So, and then finally, I think this picture of the word overcomer in Scripture is such a powerful—the Greek word there really means victorious. And so we are victorious. We are an overcomer. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, actually, there is seven letters to seven churches, and each one of those letters ends with a promise to him who overcomes and uh, I just encourage you go go read Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and read each one of those promises. We don't have time to do it here, but they're great promises. Basically eternal promises that God promises to those who overcome. Well, who is it that overcomes? Well, John wrote the book of Revelation, John also wrote the book of 1 John, and in 1 John chapter 5 he says this, the same Greek word, the same word, who is it that overcomes? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, every Christian is an overcomer. Why is every Christian an overcomer? It's because back in John sixteen thirty three, and who wrote the book of John? John did. He said this. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He says that I have overcome the world, even death. So because Jesus has overcome the world and we are in him, we are now overcomers. So we've won. The victory has already been won. And we are overcomers in Christ. So Mm -hmm. look, Paul calls this world and the troubles that we have in it, light and momentary troubles, which are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I know this is not Um, something you've probably heard anywhere. But even this virus, I would call light and momentary compared to
0: all of eternity. Amen. Jeff, thanks for spending the time with me today. And I know the listeners, uh, you gave them a lot to think about. And I appreciate uh, bringing balance to a conversation which is seemingly out of balance all the time. It is. Well, it's unprecedented time. It is. Um, so it's, it's uh, you know,
1: we've had a lot of uh, calamities and disasters, but this one is, is it's unique. So
0: let's just, uh, that means we need even greater faith through this. Yeah, let's be good to each other. Uh, thank you for listening. And I uh, will be with you again tomorrow, Lord willing. Uh, if you missed any of this show, I really do recommend passing it on to a friend. Go to MyFaithRadio.com. And thank you for listening and supporting and caring about us here at the station, because we love and care about you. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow.